Hey, good morning, Vero Christian Church. Good to see you. Good group here today. Good to see you. Some of you have come back. You've been traveling, and now you're back. We've got some of our winter residents are back with us today. Welcome back to you. We have guests here this morning. So glad to have you. We like to say to you, welcome home. Welcome home. You're here, and we hope you enjoy this service today. And uh, we have a lot of people. We have more people live streaming than we have in person. So that's our live stream congregation, and we love you too. Uh, please click like and share, and you'll get a treat and not a trick, I promise. So we're in this sermon series, Obey Everything, looking at obeying the commands of Jesus. Primarily, we're looking in the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to start this morning with a story. Everybody likes a story, uh, so we'll start with that. Here's, it's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold like their mother and the youngest one in curls. It's also the story of a man named Brady. He was busy with three boys of his own. There were four men living all together, yet they were all alone. And then the one day, the lady met the fellow, and they knew that it was much more than a what? A hunch. Have you, if you've heard this, stop me. No, don't stop me. That this group would somehow form a family, and that's the way they became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. Well, I mean, apparently some of you are familiar with that story, but what you may not know is that soon after Mike... Brady and Carol were married. Uh, they were sitting together at the breakfast table talking. And Mike said, Carol, you know, uh, we're, the boys and I are really looking forward to Halloween this year. Halloween, this is our favorite time of year. It's our favorite holiday. I mean, we love to get dressed up in our, our costumes and, and we go trick-or-treating, get the candy, we just have a great time. And uh, Carol got this really shocked look on her face. She said, Mike, no, I did not know that. She said, the girls and I never go trick-or-treating because, well, frankly, because we're Christians, that's inappropriate for Christians to participate in. And Mike looked surprised. He said, well, Carol, I mean, the boys and I are Christians too. We're regular churchgoers. I don't see what difference that makes. And Carol said, well, Mike, it makes a lot of difference. I mean, I can prove to you from the Bible that no Christian should ever participate in, in anything related to Halloween. And Mike said, oh, really? Well, Carol, I can prove to you from the Bible that there's absolutely nothing wrong with Christians participating in Halloween. So Carol said, okay, all right, here's what we're going to do. You go get your Bible, I'm going to go get my Bible, and then an hour from now we're going to meet right back here at this table and we're going to lay it all out. Mike said, you're on. I'll see you back here in an hour. So, just put that to the side. We'll get back in a minute to the great Brady-Halloween debate. But what I want to do while they're getting all prepared, I want to look at a little bit of the history of Halloween. We look at the history of Halloween for a minute or two this morning. I've written most of this down. I didn't want to memorize it, but here we go. Here's some of the history of Halloween. Halloween originated as a pagan festival among the Celts of Ireland and Great Britain. Irish and Scottish immigrants carried versions of the tradition to North America here in the 19th century, 1800s. Many of those old European cultural traditions recognized this time of year, this time of year, as the end of summer and the harvest, the beginning of winter, and it's associated with the season of death and dying. Now, if you're a native Floridian like me, uh, you may not be able to relate to that as far as the season of death and dying because we live in the land of eternal sunshine and life. That's why some of the winter residents are coming here right now for that very reason. 
But you can understand if you've traveled, if you've lived in the north or other places, you know, it gets cold, here comes the snow, the trees die, leaves fall off. It's the season of death and dying, so things of that sort begin to be associated with a certain time of year. The Sabbath festival was a feast when the dead were thought to revisit the mortal world and large communal bonfires would be lit to ward off the evil spirits. I guess uh, evil spirits don't like bonfires. And the term Halloween is shortened from all hallow even. All hallow even, I mean the evening before all hallows day. So November 1st, now, on the Catholic calendar, is a Catholic feast. It's the All Hallows Day. The word hallow means holy or saint, so it's, we would call it All Saints Day, but it was named as All Hallows Day. So the evening before that, October 31st, was All Hallows Evening, the evening before that. Uh, so some of the terminology and the symbolism behind this, the jack-o'-lantern can be traced back to the Irish legend of Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack was a greedy, gambling, hard-drinking old farmer who tricked the devil into climbing up a tree, and then he trapped him up there by carving a cross in the trunk of the tree. So in revenge, the devil placed a curse on Stingy Jack, which doomed him to forever wander the earth at night. So at Halloween time, Irish children carved out turnips, placing a candle inside to symbolize Jack's curse. Americans light carving on pumpkins instead of turnips, and then things evolve from there. And I'm kind of glad, because I'd rather have a pumpkin pie than a turnip pie at, uh, at this time of year. The other imagery surrounding Halloween is largely an amalgamation of, number one, the Halloween season itself, and number two, nearly a century of work from American filmmakers, graphic artists, and a commercialized take on the dark and the mysterious. Halloween imagery tends to involve death, magic, or mythical monsters. Commonly, Halloween characters include skeletons, ghosts, ghouls, witches, vampires, bats, owls, haunted houses, black cats, spiders, zombies, mummies, skeletons, werewolves, and demons. Now, whereas we older folks think of vampires and wolf men with fear, a lot of the younger folks associate vampires and wolf men with romance and love there are some young girls who dream of meeting and falling in love with a 100 year old vampire named edward or a werewolf with six-pack abs named jacob but in the united states halloween has become the sixth most profitable holiday it's after christmas mother's day valentine's day easter and father's day it's the second most popular holiday for decorating after christmas and the national confectioners association reports candy sales are actually up over this time last year. 80% of adults say they're going to do some kind of Halloween activity this year with their children, 80%. Now, in my research, I came across these rules for a safe and happy Halloween. Rules for a safe and happy Halloween. Number one, uh, if you have a basement or an attic, if the power goes out, do not search your basement or your attic. Number two, when you have the benefit of numbers, never break off and go it alone. Number three, if you're searching for something that caused a loud noise in your house in the dark and you think it's just the cat, it's not just the cat. Get out of the house. Number four, if you are running from a monster, expect a trip or fall down at least twice. Also note, despite the fact that you are running and the monster is merely shambling along, it's still moving fast enough to catch up with you. 
And five, and finally, stay away from certain geographical locations such as Amityville, Elm Street, Transylvania, the Bermuda Triangle, or any small town in Maine. Okay, there's your history of Halloween. So, let's get back to the great Brady Halloween debate. So, Carol and Mike, they come back to the breakfast table. They've done their research. They've got their Bibles. And Carol went first. She said, Mike, here we go. She said, I have three basic arguments. When I'm done, I'm sure that you will agree with me. She said, number one, the origins of Halloween and the symbols of Halloween are rooted in things that the Bible condemns. And she quoted Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. And she also quoted from Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral persons, and sorcerers, sorcerers, their part will be, take, be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. Second death. She said, secondly, making light of these things or making fun of these things either glorifies them or desensitizes our children to the occult, making them more vulnerable for recruitment or to be involved in things occult. She quoted Jude, verse 9 and 10. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed the devil... With the devil argued about the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct. Like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. And Carol said, Mike, my third argument, I don't really have a Bible verse for this, but she says it's pretty well known that there are real Satanists, and, and this is their big night. Halloween, October 31st, that's their big night. They're doing abominable things on that night, and that's a big recruitment for them. That's where they're recruiting people uh, into devil worship. And so Carol said, Mike, now that I have laid this out for you and showed you these verses, I'm sure that you agree with me. This is absolutely wrong, and uh, you and the boys and me and the girls will just stay home on Halloween night and play board games, and if anybody comes to our door, we'll pass out Bible tracts and dental floss, and uh, you know, everybody in the neighborhood will just love us. Mike said, well, hold on a minute, Carol. Hold on. Now, I heard what you said, but I'm not convinced. He said, in fact, you made three basic arguments. Well, I have the counterpoints to each one of those. He said, listen up. Number one, although the origins, the origins of Halloween and these symbols may be rooted in these things that the Bible condemns, he said, they are not connected with those things any longer. Halloween has simply evolved into really, in America, a national costume party. And when children get dressed up in costumes and they go out trick-or-treating, they're not worshiping the devil. And he said, besides that, you can find pagan associations, if you want to, with all kinds of, of holidays. There are pagans' associations with, with Easter, with Christmas, with Thanksgiving, even with the very name Sunday, the first day of the week. And then he quoted some some scriptures. 1 Timothy 6.17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Titus 1.15, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. And, then, and Titus goes on to say, but for those who are corrupt, nothing is pure. And 1 Corinthians 10.29, why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? And then he said, secondly, Carol, making fun 
of these things. That may be wrong. We don't have to do that. We can use this as a teaching time for our children that, you know, we're Christians. We're not going to dress up like a witch. We're going to dress up like a, a demon or a zombie. Our kids can dress up like they're heroes. They could dress up like a firefighter or a police man or a dancer or a, pr- or a princess or a preacher. Now, all the little boys want to be preachers. And, and, uh, and, so, and we can teach them. We can teach them. In fact, he said that Deuteronomy passage is a great one to use to teach them don't, don't use a Ouija board, don't, don't be involved in a seance or anything like that. And he said, and uh, he also used John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And then Mike said, Carol, and finally, you're talking about the Satanists and this being their big night and everything, and they're out there doing abominable actions, and they're recruiting people to Satan worship. He says, in my research, the the number of of Satan worshipers has been declining and declining for decades now. And he said, any evidence that they're out there doing abominable things on Halloween is anecdotal at best. And so he said, Carol, I'm sure now that I have made my points, my counterpoints, that you agree with me, there's really nothing wrong with trick-or-treating and Halloween, and you and the girls can come along with me and the boys, and we can go out trick-or-treating. Well, that was not Carol's reaction. Carol said, Mike, i got to tell you, I'm not convinced, and I'm really a little bit offended. She said, Mike, i got to tell you, if I had known that you were leaning towards Satanism and devil worship, and, and I might have never married you in the first place. And Mike said, well, Carol, I'm a little surprised myself. He said, I got to tell you, if I had realized that you were a Bible-thumping, narrow-minded, holy roller, I might have never have married you in the first place. So they were at odds. And so it was, it was at this point that Mike and Carol Brady came to see me. Yes, my renown for marriage counseling had gone out far and wide, and they sought me out. And they came to me and said, Steve, you know, we, we're having these issues. We got a real problem here. Can you help us out? I said, Mike, Carol, I think I can. I think I can help you. So I want to tell you right now, there's a few minutes remaining here, what I told Mike and Carol Brady. I said, first of all, I think you both make some pretty good points. I mean, kudos to you for getting your Bibles out and, and researching. I said, Carol, I think you've had some good points there. I said, Mike. Uh, I think you had some good points too. But let me, let me make, come at this from a little bit different perspective. I, I see what's happened here, and, and you were arguing, and a, a subtle shift sort of took place in your argument. And this, this is not uncommon. So well, people can be discussing something, they're talking about an issue, and then it escalates a little bit and it becomes an, an argument, maybe gets heated, and there's a tipping point where you're no longer really discussing the issue. The issue is not what's on the table anymore. What's on the table is the relationship. You're not arguing about the issue. You're arguing now about the relationship. And the issue just becomes like an avatar for the discussion about the relationship. This, is, this can happen in all kinds of venues. I mean, parenting, for instance. A junior brings home a kind of a, a poor report card, and parents sit down, and we're, we're just going to have a talk and start talking about the, the poor report card. Things go back and forth, maybe escalated a little bit. They get heated, and before you know it, something has changed. And the issue of the report card is no longer the issue, the, rela- the parent-child relationship is the issue. 
Um, it can happen in churches. It can happen in churches. Churches discuss things. Individual people in the church, groups in churches. It might be the number of services, style of worship. It could be mask or no mask. It could be could have something to do with politics. And there's so discussions take place over issues. But sometimes, again, a subtle shift happens in some of these discussions, and the issue is no longer the issue, but the relationship amongst brothers and sisters in the church becomes the issue. Certainly happens in marriages for all kinds of reasons. So I said, Mike and Carol, you know, I think we need to look at some scriptures that have to do with that and the importance of protecting the relationship when discussing any given issue. Issue. And so, pointing for instance to Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And that's key. You know, I, I say, I did this search in the Bible for the word Halloween. It doesn't show up in the scriptures, the word Halloween. So that means you got to approach it from biblical principle. I said, Carol, you had some good scriptures. Mike, you had some good scriptures. But the fact that you still have different perspectives, shows this is a disputable matter. There is no thus saith the Lord. So we're not saying that truth is not important. We're just saying there, there are things that are disputable. And when that's the case, we have to pay very careful attention to love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And I went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a familiar passage, but very important. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I mean, I can figure this whole Halloween thing out. Got to figure it out. But have not love, I'm nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wrong. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I said, Mike, Carol, what, what we want to do here is we want to love the truth, but we want to love each other at the same time. And your, your marriage, that relationship is precious, most precious of all. So that's what I said. And afterward, they've been nodding their heads, and Mike looked over at Carol. He said, you know, Carol, <laughs> he said, I, I got to say, maybe, maybe I, I overreacted especially when I called you a narrow-minded, Bible-thumping, holy roller. And when I said, Maybe, I wish we hadn't been married. He said, I'm sorry about that. I see where you're coming from. Hey, if you don't want us to go trick-or-treating, then that's fine. We'll just stay home and play board games, have family time. Carol said, eh, you know, Mike, no. I, I kind of over, overreacted a little a bit as well. I know you're not a devil worshiper. And if you and the boys want to go out trick-or-treating, I'm not going to be upset about that. And Mike said, well, thanks, Carol. I tell you what, let's do this. Maybe here's a, here's a compromise. He said, you know, our church is having their, their trunk or treat around this time. Maybe we could all kind of get dressed up and we can go over to our church's trunk or treat and we can use this. Other than the devil worshipers are recruiting. Well, we can go out and recruit for the Lord and invite the community to come in and we can help pass out the candy and trick up our trunk and everything. And Carol said, hey, Mike, that's a great idea. That sounds really good to me. So, Mike and the boys and Carol and the girls and even Alice, the housekeeper, and Sam, her boyfriend. They all went over to their church, and they got their trunk open, and they had a great time uh, passing out candy and witnessing for the Lord at their trunk or treat. And maybe, just maybe, they learned an important lesson about love 
and the importance of preserving the relationship, maybe we have to. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, the Bible says, your word says, there are few things more precious in your eyes than harmony, than unity amongst brothers and sisters and in families. We want to remember that today because whether it's this issue or some other issue, you know, we all have arguments and disputes. And we want you to remind us today just how important love is. We recommit ourselves to love. More important many times on disputable matters than being right is being loving in our relationships. That's what you've done with us has been love and loving and patient and kind. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.